everyone. We are thrilled to announce we are changing the name from the Delia Folk Podcast to the Style That Binds Us Podcast. The Style That Binds Us is a lifestyle media brand that houses the Style That Binds Us YouTube channel, blog, podcast, VIP shopping experiences, with more to come. My name is Delia Folk, and I work as a buyer at one of the top luxury retailers in the world. And my mom, Allison Brune, is an in-demand national wardrobe consultant. We are the co-hosts for this podcast. Our mission is to give access to the often closed, exclusive, and insular fashion industry. In the podcast episodes, we interview movers and shakers in fashion, beauty, jewelry, and entrepreneurship. We explore how they got where they are today, what their roles are like, and where they are going. These conversations dig deeper than the surface. With every piece of content we put out, We want you to walk away having learned something, feeling inspired and confident. You belong with us and we are better because you are here. We hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, I am Delia Folk, your host. And today we are talking to Chelsea Goldman of CF Goldman. She is a fashion designer and has a ready-to-wear brand, which may expand to different categories at some point soon. She interned at Celine, Narcissa Rodriguez, and Forenza Schooler, and went to London College of Fashion and Central St. Martins. So I hope you enjoy our conversation talking about Chelsea's life and brand. Starting at the beginning, what was it like growing up in New York City? Uh, growing up in New York City was a really good experience. I think that it was very open that we had like learned a lot at a very early age and you saw a lot of different cultures and a lot of different people, but it also gave me access to a lot of things. It gave me access to, uh, programs and fashion. So I like would take after school programs at FIT and Parsons and study. I also had like a moment where I was really into cake making. So I did that, but like (laughs) you can can kind of access everything, which is really nice. Yeah. So they have after school programs for high school. They do at Parsons and FIT, which was always great. I would take like drawing classes or portfolio classes, whatever I could do, I would take and start. I think I even like interned. I tried to intern for Philip Lim when I was like 15. I like went in for like, I was like, I'm going to just go in for an interview. And they were like, okay, but like, you can't like, like travel alone in the city. So we can't have you. <laughs> but like, I think I tried that. And like, also like was able to like sneak into fashion week in the city, which was always fun and like interesting. And it gave us like a lot of experiences, but it was good. So what age did you start going to fashion shows? I feel like my first one, like my, f- I think my first one was Lila Rose when I was like 13 or 14. My like family friend took me to, um, the Lila Rose fashion show. And I just remember being like, this is the most incredible thing in the world. Like, this is like, and I like knew every model's name. I was like such a, like a fan of fashion. Like when I was a kid, like in such a dorky way, Um, but it was like, it was fun. It was like such a fun thing. And then we went to like, I went to the project runway show. That was like highlight of my like fourth grade. (laughs) Great. Okay, so London College of Fashion and Central Mm -hmm. St. Martins. Did you grow up knowing that you wanted to be a fashion designer? So my mom was a fashion designer. So she actually went to Parsons. um, And my dad is in the jewelry business. So we, like, come from a very design-oriented family. 
Um, and I think my options in my mind, I always wanted to go to RISD or Parsons when I was growing up, but I did a summer program at RISD and then was like, I don't think fashion's happening in Rhode Island, which is probably true. Um, and I wanted to get as far from New York as I could. So London made the most sense. And I kind of, I'm a very like spur of the moment person was like, okay, I'm bye, I'm moving to London and it kind of, it just happened and I left and it was, it was a great experience. And then how does being in New York versus London inspire you in different ways? Um, I think that London is a much more uh, creative place in terms of fashion. I think that they're uh, willing to take risk in a different way than New York is. New York is very like business focused and we're all about sales and production and money, which is great. And you need that part of it. But in London, they're so willing to do things that are new and different. Um, and so while I was there, I saw that, but I also saw that in New York, we had the ability to produce things, make things for cost. And so I saw that there was this balance that kind of needed to happen between the two. And if we could bring that design and that spirit of London to New York, it would be really special. So that's kind of how I went into the business. And how did you land your incredible internships? Internships? Um, so many different ways. <laughs> I think I like, I'm, our school had a really good network of people that like, they never really helped us. Like no one was ever like, this is how you get an internship. But um, I think also being the only American person and American really like, go after things. Whereas sometimes British people are a little more like laid back. Um, we kind of, I would just like email people on LinkedIn. Like I would find them like an old, like alumni and be like, Hey, I'm from your school. Like, can I come over and do this for the summer? Um, so that's kind of how it started. And I was just always the person who was like, they're the latest and working the hardest. And I think that that was like, I would always like just say yes. Like if they asked me anything, I would always be like, sure, like whatever you need, like in weird requests, like Celine, I did the weirdest stuff, but like <laughs> always like would always just do it. And I think that it like, then I would get the opportunity to go to Paris. They moved me to Paris for a month. And then I became Phoebe's second assistant, um, like a year in and would do anything like that. They asked kind of, um, and was able to stick around kind of that way, I think. So you, during your internship, you went to Paris. I would go to Paris. Yeah. So we okay. would, so, uh, specific Celine was like my longest working experience for a brand. We, I was there for two and a half years, um, during school. So I would, I'd say it's been like two days a week in school and then three days a week at Celine at least. Um, and my teachers are kind of like, it's fine, whatever you're learning more there than you will at school. Um, and then we would go to Paris for a month before fashion week. So we'd live in Paris and work at the, the Paris studio, but the other studio was in London. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we like split the time. And then how did you know, okay, it's time to start my own brand. Oh, I think I was really stupid. I think that I just went into it being like, <laughs> you have to kind of go into it a little bit of like, you know, your youthfulness and be like so excited about it. And anyone who's like, I feel like anyone who's like worked for so many people or knows too much, it's almost like you're too afraid to do anything. And like, you know, too much about this industry. So I think I went into it being like, Oh yeah, like I'm 24 and I can do this. And so that's how it kind of started. And I just went from there. Yeah. And then naming the line, how did you choose to use your own name? My own name. So 
I didn't want to use Chelsea Goldman because I thought Chelsea Goldman sounded like a line for Walmart. Like it sounded a little like commercial or like <laughs> also like a law firm. Um, so I was into doing something that was like a little more unisex. That was really important to me that the line had a name that we could expand into other uh, categories. So I really liked CF Goldman. I liked uh, my n- middle name and I liked... I always like JW Anderson and I like kind of referenced that when I was naming the brand. So something that could really be translated into menswear or to home goods, whatever it could. And it's a little more general than Chelsea. That's such a feminine name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is your middle name? Farah. <laughs> How does it spell? F-A-R-A. Okay. Farah Fawcett. <laughs> yeah. Is that where it came from? I don't think it's where it came from, but... <laughs> Okay. So tell me about the corset. What is the, the history of it? And what are some little facts that you mm. know? So the corset, I, I think the corset's an interesting item for women because it's such a historic item. And it's really something that we've worn um, as undergarments, as like a restrictive thing. And I think there's something interesting about kind of taking it back. Um, at that same time, it's also really crafted. So like um, it's something that you really have to make well. Like it's not something you can kind of like Zara can make in a crappy way because there's so many layers and there's like a stretch to it. And there's just like the way we make it is so beautifully done. And the brand is really all about craft. So kind of how we crafted the garment was really important. And the corset is such a good example of craft because you just can't cheap out on a corset. So that's how we kind of got into it making it. Okay. And when did the brand launch? God, um, I'm in my three and a half. I think it was four. We spring 15 was our first season. Okay. Yeah. And so when does a spring collection come out? Spring collection. So spring, which one? So spring 15. So when did you start designing it? Like you say, okay, this, this day I started the brand and then it took this long to come. Four or five months before spring, I started working on it and then it was definitely the longest lead time that I had ever had because like that was like, and you don't have production. So you like your first collection is like such a great luxurious time because you can like hone the vision, do what you want to do. There's nothing like to worry about in terms of production or like sales or whatever else happens during that time. Um, so I was able to spend time on it. So spring 15 at launch, it must have dropped in the stores in February. Yeah. Sometime. I mean, it's how the calendar works, but yes, I definitely <laughs> for sure. That's how it was. <laughs> okay. So paint a picture of designing the collection, go into choosing the fabrics, the colors, patterns. How did you find a factory to work with pricing, fitting garments? There's the so thing. many of those. There's so many aspects of it. Um, I think, so I generally start in fabrics. I think that's fabrics and research. So do a ton of research. We go to libraries. I go to like Tumblr, like Pinterest, like anything that I've started to like artists I like. And we just kind of like, uh, myself and, uh, one other designer, we like compile everything that we've seen for the last six months that have interested us. Um, so we start with that and then we kind of start to look at fabrics. We go to different mills in the city. So there's different representatives. If you have a bigger team, you can go to PB, which would be incredible, but we don't really have the time. Um, so we have mills that we really like. We work a ton with Liberty, which is like the um, best floral, like cotton shirting brand. So I do a lot with them. 
Um, and we have like our core, I'd say five mills that we work with. And that's been really important because we know that their minimums are low, that we can always reorder the fabric, that they're um, right for our customer. And then we like generally layer in like one or two new things that are exciting. So that's how we try to structure the season. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's like how we start it. Um, and then we'll start sketching after that. So we'll do like, a, we'll compile all the research, we'll make boards. Um, and then we start sketching from that point. Uh, we'll look at like old shapes that we've liked that we kind of want to reuse and redo. Um, and then we'll hand off the sketching to the factory. The factory will make like a first sample Then we'll have fittings. And generally we take like three fittings to make a garment, which is probably not the best way to work, but it's the way that I work and I was told to work. Um, and then our factory makes the final sample. So that's how it works. But we put a lot of time into like the making of it and the fitting and making sure that it like, there's a lot of work on the actual body. So like once we see it on the girl, like, is this something else we can add? Can we pull this? Like what looks more interesting? Is there, um, a course that we can put over it? It's generally always just put a corset over it, but <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is a mill? What is a mill? Oh, so a fabric mill is... Fabric mill is someone that actually creates the fabric. So they are someone who um, will do the yarns and create the actual fabric for us. They are generally based in Italy or for us, they're based in Italy. Sometimes people use Chinese, like Chinese mills. There's Peruvian mills. There's um, English mills. We do a lot of sourcing from England as well and Japan for denim. Um, and then they have reps in the U S generally. So someone like will have a small office where they have the whole collection there. It's almost like when you're a buyer and you go and you look at a collection, it's the same kind of idea. Um, and then you pull headers from them and they send them to you. So a header, is that a swatch of fabric? A header is like a larger swatch of fabric. So they'll send you like, they have their whole like spring collection. And so they have to be actually ready like four months before we have to be ready for spring. Um, so they'll have spring ready and you kind of pick, and then you can also like, People do things like they make exclusive colorways or you develop a fabric with them. That's obviously like takes a long time. So that's like a luxury. Sometimes we don't have, but if we can, we will. Yeah. So then are you traveling to these mills, the ones you work no, with? No, I don't generally go. You can like work over email or you can work over the phone and they have the reps here that you can kind of communicate with back and forth. If you're a small brand, you're not going to your mill. Yeah. It's not really necessary. That's good. Yeah. And then the fittings. So what do fittings look like? So fittings are generally will make um, a muslin, which is like a mock-up of what the garment will look like. It doesn't have like the exact finishings, but I like it to be as close as possible. We'll, depending on what the fabrication is, we'll usually make it out of muslin, but sometimes people make it out of like a another fabric that they want to use. Um, and those fittings will... Like we'll have a fit model there. She'll try on the garments and we'll like see how it looks, see how it feels, what we need to alter, take notes, cut it up. We, I like to like cut up every garment. Like I like the garments to be destroyed by the end of the fitting. Some people are really precious with their garments, but I think it's tough to be. And then what about pricing? Pricing. Pricing is tough. Pricing was something I had to learn and not something that like um, was ever really taught to me and definitely something that the, I think schools could use a little more information on because you come out of school and you're like, I want to make this like gorgeous gown. And then it comes to the price and at the retail price, it's $20,000 to make this gorgeous gown. (laughs) So it doesn't really make sense. And there's not a customer for that. Um, so learning about pricing was interesting. Uh, our pricing is really, um, 
we try to keep it really sharp. It's within like our retail is within 350 to a thousand. So it's really at the start of an emerging designer brand. Um, and it's kind of how you have to be competitive in today's market with your pricing. So important. It's so important. That's crazy. And your pricing is fabulous. Thank you. Okay. So with classifications, it seems you hinted to this before, but so from the beginning, have you want to wanted to offer a line with multiple classifications, but we'd be seeing more from you than ready to wear. Um, I think that the idea was always to go into other areas. We're talking to like a sunglass brand about doing a partnership with them. Um, right now the team is really, really small. So I think we do what we can. I, my focus is doing what we can in the best way possible always. So I don't want to ever expand it. That would, make us lose sight of the collection. So that's the most important thing. Um, I think like shoes would be the next like kind of natural progression for us and then maybe handbags. What does a day in the life of Chelsea Goldman look like? Oh yeah. So exhausting. <laughs> today was, today was not a good example of the day in the life packing my apartment, but um, my day in my life is, I feel like I spend like 70% of my time in Midtown. I'm like, it's not a very glamorous life. I'm like at my factory, although my factory is a beautiful factory um, most of the time. So we're working in Midtown. We make sure that like, generally I feel like we're working all the time now on production. So we're at the factory making sure all of the goods look right and they have all the pieces they need. Um, and then I try to do like two or three design meetings a week to keep like, make sure we're on top of what's happening with the development. So that's like my general day. So tell me about how you decided to add a new season. Oh my God. Everyone told me I had to. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think it's just like, it's amount of demand, right? Like once you, you kind of have to know you're ready for it. I think that a lot of designers go into this being like, I'm going to do everything. And that's really not a good idea. Um, and once the stores, once you have the accounts that need those extra seasons from you, that's when we were like, okay, now it makes sense. And pre-fall is also a bigger season. So yeah, it's the main response. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite technical design term? Oh, my favorite technical design term, like our boning or like, Oh, you know what I love? I love Framus. Framus is like my favorite thing in the world. Framus is like, do you know when the Nike, like in Nike sportswear, when the seams are bonded together? Like, so if you have like a, like a Nike pant, um, they have like a rubber bonding that kind of like bonds the two seams together. And it's like the most incredible thing ever. It's like sportswear, but like I use it in our collection. Celine used to use it on their like jackets. And it's just like this like tape that you press down and like make the seam finish. I love Ramis. Okay. So how do you spell it? Ooh. F-R-A-M-I-S. What girl are you designing for and what is important to her? You know, I get this question a lot. I feel like the girl I'm designing for, it's not like this dream girl. We really do have like real women that I work with. And like our team is women. Like the, um, uh, the designer who I work with is the coolest woman. And like our stylist is a cool woman. My mom is a cool woman. So it's just like, those are the people I'm designing for. And those are kind of the people we always ask, like, how do you, what do you think about this? How does this look for you? Um, so I try not to have this like fantasy woman in my head. Cause I think that gets a little dangerous sometimes. Um, I think if I was to say she's like, she's a woman that really dresses for herself and is really like empowered by dressing. It's like the way we style things. I don't think it's ever like 
this super overtly sexy way. Like even though there's corsets, like it's still like a cooler woman. So she mixes these pieces and she can take the course and she can wear it on her own, but she's cool. Cool girl. <laughs> I feel very empowered in what I'm wearing. Good. <laughs> Glad. <laughs> okay. What advice do you have for someone trying to land their first fashion job? Oh God. Uh, go into finance or like something else. <laughs> Run. Um, <laughs> to get a first job. Um, I think the, I think you really just have to be like the hardest worker. Like this, this is not an easy industry to break into. It's a time of real stress for the industry too. So it's not like they're just looking for people who are going to be pretty and sit around. We need people who are going to be like working really, really hard. And if there's anything anyone asks you to do, you should do it because you're going to learn something from it and it's going to lead to something else. Um, people take notice if you're working really, really hard, um, that's the best way to show people that you want to be here and you want to really do this. Is the fashion industry as glamorous as it seems? <laughs> I think I've talked about that. Yes. You have. Uh, it's so glamorous. <laughs> um, you listen, there's like parts of it. Like, um, I do a lot of interviews, which are like, I would say are the, like the more glamorous sides, but it's like, of my job is glamorous and like 90% of it is very much not glamorous. And it's going to Midtown, which is not the most glamorous of places in New York and spending all day in my factory and sweaty and moving fabric rolls and packing boxes and all of the stuff that I would not probably no one would consider glamorous, but it's real work and it's the fashion industry is not a glamorous place. So what is your title? What do you look for the company? Creative director is like what I've always said my title is. Okay. So what, (laughs) so what does it look like to be a creative director? What kind of tasks and responsibilities do you have? Uh, I think it's very different in different sizes of companies. Um, like creative directors, each company I actually worked for with the creative director had a very different role. Um, like at a bigger company like Celine, Phoebe's role was uh, much more specific and her role was to direct the entire house. So the vision of what the house looks like, what does our storefronts look like? What is our brand look like? What does our logo look like? And like, just have the feeling you don't actually do the pen to paperwork. So you're not um, sitting there and designing, but you're in all the fittings um, at a smaller house like Proenza, which is slightly smaller than Celine. Um, they're a little more involved and they would actually do the sketching. So I think it really depends on what the house is for a very small company like mine. I do everything. So, so what just is everything? <laughs> yeah, I do everything. I really like, you know, some of my day is spent doing the finances and the taxes and everything like that. Um, some of my day is spent making sure that we have the trims in the factories. Some of my day is spent sitting there and designing. So it really, it's, you have to be able to like, have so many different brains, I think, and make sure you can like switch and make sure you have everything. And then when you're designing, do you sketch or drape or both? Sketch. We start with sketching and then we drape when we're on the body. So once we have a sample, we kind of like then take fabric and drape it. I find it very hard to just like drape from nothing. I like to like see kind of a body of what I'm thinking about and then work off of that. And then do you, do you have a team? I have a small team, a very powerful, but small team. (laughs) Um, I have a production manager who's been very helpful. I think that's one of the hardest parts was learning about production. 
Um, I have a designer who is freelance. Um, so she helps me there. Um, I have my mom actually helps me a lot. So she was in the fashion industry and she's helping me now. Um, I have a PR team and then I have a sales team. Yeah, so it's starting to grow, but still really small. And then has it been difficult for you to focus on both the creative and the math? Um, yeah, I think that's like the hardest part is switching your brain and like every day being like, okay, right now I'm focusing on finance and now I have to focus on design because design takes a lot out of you and you have to like kind of be there for it and really like, um, be focusing on the design. And sometimes it's hard to do both. Okay. So because of your mom, Mm -hmm. you have this love of fashion and curiosity so then you decide to go to London for college. Tell me about what did you learn there? And and so you went to two. You went to London College of Fashion and Central St. Martin. Yes, so I went what? To both. Okay. So I'd say like London College of Fashion is more similar to FIT and St. Martin's is more similar to Parsons. All of them are both really, really different if you just had to compare them. Um, London College of Fashion is much more um, like engineering based. Like it's much more about pattern making and actually making the product. So I think I learned a lot about craft there. St. Martin's is like, how crazy can we possibly make something and like pushing your creativity in the best way. So you learn a lot from both. Um, I also worked while I was over there. So I think that was really helpful to see how houses worked in Europe and understand that. And also just get like a more global perspective of fashion because there was so much. Also when I was there, it was like kind of this like height of British fashion. Like we had like Christopher Kane, Mary Catranzu was coming out of school. Like I was, oh, it was like, so Gareth Pugh was like the like height of it. And like, it was just like this really, really cool time for British fashion when all these like young emerging designers were starting. Peter Pilato was starting like all these cool young brands. So it was an exciting time to be there. And then did each summer, did you have an internship or also while you were in school? Um, I kind of worked, I definitely worked through the summers. I would work like from in school to through the summers. And I was just always like, always working. Um, yeah, I never stopped. Okay. So you got there and then tell me about your first internship. How did you get it? And what Mm -hmm. was it? So it was Narcissa Rodriguez. Um, oh my God, how did I get that? (laughs) I don't, it was so long ago. It's embarrassing. Um, (laughs) too old now. Um, it was, I feel like I just like emailed someone. I knew someone through a friend of a friend and like, I like emailed them and was like, I want to come in. I want to work. I was 18 and I was like, I'm just, I want to come see and I'll do whatever you need me to do. Um, it was a really small team in a small house. So it was interesting to see how something works in New York. Also such like someone who's been around for such a long period of time. Nurses. So actually was in my mom's person's class, um, and has been around for a really, really long time. And so like to see, how he's kind of developed as a New York designer was always really interesting. Mm -hmm. And during these internships, did you have access to the actual designers? Yeah. I think like, even though people think that these companies are huge, they're really, really not. I mean, our office was very, very small office and the design team was a team of four plus two interns. So it wasn't like this huge, huge team. Um, so you always had access to everyone. It was, you know, and you're always doing things and running around. Um, I'd say it's important to stay humble about the whole thing and not think that you're going to come in there and run the company. You need to go in there and be like, I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do. Mm-hmm. Cause that's an important attitude to have. Yeah. Um, okay. So 
tell me about what did you learn in school versus these internships? Mm. Okay. So I feel like school, like fashion school is this weird thing where you're like taught how to be cool is kind of how I always said it. Like you're always like, they were always like, okay, what's your personality? What's your brand? How are we going to recognize you? Um, so that was always really important. And there was like this, it was an amazing, like creative environment where like, especially in London. And like, at that time it was like, everyone was like, even our teachers, you know, were like, like old signers and like, they would go out and like, there's this also this like huge London underground party scene that everyone was kind of a part of too. So it was like, everyone was just very creative and there was like, you know, it was like, paper magazine was coming over and throwing parties for our school, like stuff like that. It was just like a very fun environment to be in. And I think that was really nurturing. And I met a lot of people that are doing something similar to what I'm doing now. So it really gave me a background of people to talk to about everything. Um, But the internships are much more real world experience. You kind of really learn how a design house works. I don't think I ever realized um, really like, uh, how you really put together a collection until I worked at a house and you saw like, okay, this is how you have to lay everything out. It's very different than working to a project deadline. That's like not a real world, uh, thing. Yeah. So kind of whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And then growing up, did you always say, I want to have my own brand? Um, I think I did. I think I went through definitely like a few phases. It was always like something creative. Like I always wanted to do, I said I wanted to be a cake maker at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like that was like, it was like cake maker or designer. Those were like my two things. Um, yeah, I always wanted to have my own brand eventually. I never knew when it was going to be, but, and I think it happened a little sooner than I thought it would, but yeah. Okay. And then from these internships, what, how are they different? Because working Mm -hmm. at these companies, they're different sizes and also based in different Different places. places. Yeah. Yeah, I think that working for Celine was very interesting. It's owned by LVMH, which is a huge, huge corporation. So I think that um, they had such unlimited resources. And that was kind of interesting to see because it was never like, how can we make things on a budget? It was always, how can we make things in the most beautiful way possible? So there was like really like, we explored so much. We like developed so much. It was just like you had kind of free reign to do what you wanted to do. Um, and then, and I think that's also kind of a European thing too, though, really like, uh, working that way. They also work much more communally. So like there's a design director, but, um, everyone's kind of working as a team effort. Like you really listen to everyone in the team and they're really all designing together. Whereas in New York, it's really more like you have the design director and they're telling everyone else and everyone else is kind of more in production than they are in design. I would say. Okay. And what was it like working with Phoebe Philo? <laughs> Phoebe Philo is great. <laughs> and who is that? <laughs> Phoebe, Phoebe Philo is the former now director of Celine. Um, we'll see what she does next. Um, but she was great. She's a super creative woman. I think that she has a real understanding of what women actually want to dress like. And I think that that was where I took a lot of it. We also had a ton of people that were from Chloe and a ton of people that were from Stella McCartney. So it was a very like female forward environment. Um, so, you know, it was really interesting. She would always be like, how, how do I feel? And it would be like, do I feel 
like, I want to be cozy this season. And so we would be like, that's when we made first slippers. Like, and so like, it was really like started from feelings. And I think that that was an interesting way to learn. Uh, my other two internships and work experiences were with male designers. And I think it's a very different uh, starting point for them because it's not like, how would I feel in this clothing or you know, when she was pregnant, she wanted things more softer and like, it was much more about emotion. Um, whereas male designers, it's much more like a fantasy of what a woman wants to dress like. So I think that's always been a difference. And then you said you were Phoebe's second assistant. Yeah. For like a minute. (laughs) I started when, um, Celine was, I think it was Phoebe's second season. So it was a very, very small team. The ready to wear team was maybe a team of like seven and they had two interns and then like four interns in the atelier. So we were like very, very like bare bones. Um, and everyone kind of was all hands on deck. And I kind of just put myself in situations where it was like, I was, they needed my help. And I was like, okay, I'm always there. And I always kind of got things done. Um, they needed like a personal assistant at one point. So it was actually her personal assisting job, um, which I think a lot of people would maybe not take on as designers, but you learn so much by doing things for people and like, learning people's schedules and like how you help them. Like, you know, I would do things like set up her apartment in Paris or like, um, run and get them dip tea candles at 2am, like things, whatever anyone needed, I would do. Um, but you're also, it puts you in a position where you're standing in the atelier and being at the fittings because you have to be there for them. So you're also watching everything that's happening and you're very aware of all the stuff. So I think it was a really helpful experience. And then with Celine, the atelier versus ready to wear, what is that? So atelier is where they'll actually like physically make the garment. So the ready to wear team would be um, the people who are designing the garments and the atelier would be who's executing on the garments. So as I was always on the ready to wear floor um, and that's where we were sketching, making the flats, changing like um, my direct bosses um, would be like, uh, taking notes from the fittings, changing them. We'd be pulling together the most research I've ever seen in my entire life. We would have binders and binders and days and days and days of research, um, and organizing them into like different sections. Um, whereas the atelier will actually be, then we'll go down to the atelier and be like, Hey, we're thinking about, you know, a floral detail on denim. And then can you make a sample for us? So that's what the atelier would be doing or the physical stuff. Yeah. And then with research, you say you go to libraries. Tell me about all of, is it computer books? I think you have to do a mix of everything. St. Martin's is actually really weird about research. (laughs) They're very competitive about research. Um, I didn't do the MA, but I know that uh, Louise Wilson, who was the old director of the master's program at St. Martin's, would say that if you went into the library and you found a piece of research, you should rip it out of the library book because you don't want any other student to get it. So it's a very competitive environment in that way. Um, we'd like sneak into libraries. So I mean, generally I go to the FIT library in New York. It's a great, uh, resource for designers and you can like sign up and get a pass. Um, and I also look on Tumblr a lot. There's so much like there's, I feel like everything has been copied and put onto Tumblr these days. It's the craziest thing. there's like an entire log of the history of fashion on Tumblr. So we like, I think I spend days on there just like looking for inspiration. Yeah. Do you take inspiration from, from where do you get inspiration? It's a mix. I mean, it can be like art for print, like certain like art that I've looked at and I'm like, Ooh, I'm kind of into that. Um, also we look at a lot of like 
old um, 18th century paintings for the corsetry. So shapes and corsets come a lot from that. Um, and then also vintage clothing. I go to stores and I get like um, real gen- like genuine corsets. And so we take those apart and see. And then we'll also have a model come over one day and we'll like layer all the vintage pieces we've gotten and like try to redo them and put them in different ways. And like, how would this look backwards? How would this look if, you know, it was only half of it? So you can kind of have a real model of how it will actually look rather than just sketching. Mm-hmm. So it's always helpful. And then what are some of the biggest challenges of being a designer? <laughs> Every day. Every day is a new fun challenge. Um, you know, I think that in different parts of your career, there are a lot of different challenges. I think that when you're starting out, it's getting your foot in the door and like, how do I, first of all, have a vision, like you're a young designer. How do you, what, what am I have to say for the world? Like, what am Mm -hmm. I actually like here? Why do they need me in this oversaturated fashion world? Um, so once you kind of figure out that, I think it's like, figuring out then, um, how do I access the stores and how do I access customers? So are you direct to market? Are you going to a store and how do I even get the stores to come see me? Then once you have the stores, which is kind of at the stage I am, um, how do you, you know, keep yourself exciting for their customer and how do you, um, stay in the stores. So there's different challenges at every time. I'm sure there's a new challenge in the next level of designer <laughs> that I have not figured out yet. <laughs> how do you sell your business? Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then how did you get into all these fabulous stores that you're carried in? Um, I think I was kind of relentless about it. I think I was probably really annoying. Um, I actually, I went to a CFDA talk with um, RuPaul, RuPaul yeah. from Saks. She's the creative director, I think, right, for Saks. Um, And she was talking to a group of emerging designers and she was saying, you know, uh, Kuchni and Knox, they kind of, they emailed her every week for a year. And we're like, you need to, we would love to come in. We'd love to come in. And finally she was like, okay, come in. (laughs) You're annoying me. Come in. So they came in with like five dresses and showed it to her and that's how they got into Saks. And I think that's a lot of the stories of how young designers get into these stores is you kind of have to, you have to be in everyone's face and they have to kind of see you. Um, I think keeping a consistent vision is really important for them. So they know that they're not buying into one season of a designer, but they're buying into a career. Um, But yeah, a lot of people kind of are like intimidated by it. And I think you, it's very easy to get people's emails nowadays. It's usually just something at sax.com. Right. Um, and you kind of just have to be in their face and not, you know, be nice about it, but be aggressive and get what you want to get. And if, you know, I did stuff where I had like a crappy studio set up with like, we like, you know, it was me and like five friends and we worked all night to get the studio set up because we had Net-A-Porte coming in in the morning and that was like really important. And so we uh, like, we were literally running to Chinatown to get the racks at the, you know, five minutes before things like that. The model wasn't coming, but then Net-A-Porte came to my like crappy one room studio. And like, that's kind of how it starts and how it happens. And now we have a showroom that kind of, that has taken over for us in terms of sales and, been very helpful and it's a different game now because they have every store come in so it's a new uh new type of strategy and so when you're working with a showroom how much do you say this is what i want for my brand and then are they pushing back what is that relationship like 
Um, it's definitely a collaboration between the showroom and the brand. Um, I think they know a lot. I think they come from a different perspective of like sales rather than design. Um, I think you can't be pushed over because I think that happens a lot where you're told you're given so much feedback in a showroom. Um, you, you know, you're lucky to be seen by these stores a lot of the time. So it's, you're more just happy that you're there. Mm-hmm. I think. So how did you set your vision and your aesthetic and say, this is what CF Goldman is going to look like. And I'm going to put blinders on and not, right. yes, listen to feedback. Not make but, like Supreme streetwear tops right. because that's what's popular right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I think that it kind of came over seasons. It wasn't like, uh, I didn't like go into this and be like, this is exactly what I want to do. I think it takes a long time for a designer to build their vision and their idea of a brand. You also have to like, test things out and see like, okay, is a customer store responding to this? Like I may love this, but are they responding to it? And also, is it realistic in my price point? Like, uh, you know, I would love to make one off denim shredded pieces, but maybe that's not realistic for a store to pick up. So I think it's a lot of like testing and it's, that's kind of an unfortunate part about starting a brand is it takes a lot of time and money. So you really have to like test and, feel out your brand and they need to see you for three seasons and make sure that you're delivering the same product season after season. Mm-hmm. And how do you keep up the quality of the fabrication? Uh, fabrication is easy because that we get from certain vendors. And I know that um, we have to use factories we trust. We're getting to a point now where it's really tough to use the factories we love because they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's figuring out how can you keep the quality. And I think it's just being there all the time. Like I'm at the factory once a day, making sure that they are sewing the bodice in the right way and the fusible is right in every layer of that garment. So, you know, it's your baby. You have to be on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then tell me about the relationship between the mill and the factory. Mm-hmm. There's not really a relationship between like the mill and the factory, mm-hmm. I would say as much. Um, we're kind of the middleman yeah. between the mill and the factory. Um, the mill del- generally like, delivers the fabric to us okay. and then we'll take the fabric to the factory. Um, a, the mill has reps here and that's who we kind of work with. Okay. Yeah. And then how do you determine season, seasonal colors? The seasonal colors. I feel like it's always something like, I'm like, I like turn to the designer that I'm like, that I work with and I'm like, are you feeling purple this season? And we'd be like, yeah, we're both feeling purple this season. Like It's kind of, it's like, I think there's like, I do think there's a little like designer, like, like mind thing that happens every season where everyone's like, Oh, like, yeah, that color, that color will be good. It's the weirdest thing. But then it, then you show up to a store and you're like, how did everyone know purple was in this season? (laughs) Like it happens. And I don't know. I also think the fabric determines it. Like they'll have a lot of us, like they'll kind of know what colors are coming up. And it also is like, are we coming out of a really dark season? Cause then if we're coming out a really dark season, I want a really happy season. And so balancing out each season to make sure that it's exciting and new. And that has a lot to do with color and sensitivity to color. Mm Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Style That Binds Us podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We would love it if you would go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our podcast. The best way for us to know your thoughts on our podcast is if you rate and review the Style That Binds Us. This will give us the opportunity to know what you'd like to see from us in the future. Follow along on our adventures on social media at the style that binds us at 
Allison Brune at Delia Folk are our handles. Until next time.